Your future begins by receiving God's unconditional love for you. What if God's leading us to make some changes right now that are gonna position us as families and as a church to be a place of hope, to be a light for others? You are unique, God delights in you. He created you just as he wants you to be and we need you to be you. There's something inside of you that's like, man, I need more, I want more, I wanna take that step. I want my spiritual journey to look different because I've been settling. This place is to be dedicated for the things that we will covenant together and commit together to our Lord. Lord, never let this building become the focus of our ministry. Never. But let you and people be the focus and this be a tool that you use in a mighty way. Well, good morning. Great to see everybody. I wanna welcome you guys to Seacoast Church. Uh, so glad you guys are here. My name is Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor here, and it's always an honor to spend time with you and wanna welcome all of you who are watching either online or maybe you're at one of our campuses. Uh, if you're new to Seacoast, we have campuses from Johns Island to Conway to Asheville, North Carolina, everywhere in between, and so we're glad all of you are part of the journey with us today and uh, excited to spend some time together. It's March. It's the beginning of a new month. Uh, around here, that means that it's also time to talk about some church plants that we're launching. And so uh, if you're new to Seacoast, we do uh, church planting uh, through an organization that we helped to start called the Association of Related Churches. And we planted uh, over 800 churches. And this month, we're gonna launch five more brand new churches. And so I wanted to show those to you. Uh, this month, we got Mission Community in Fort Myers, Florida, Cross and Anchor Church in Detroit, Michigan, Gateway City Church in Thornton, Colorado, Luminous City in San Diego, California, and then Church 54, New Orleans, Louisiana. And so we have north, south, east, west, and then heaven in Colorado in the middle. Uh, we're planting churches, isn't that cool? And uh, if you give to Seacoast, a percentage of every dollar that comes in automatically goes towards planting churches. And so we get to celebrate and be a part of that uh, with, with these awesome church planters. Also wanted to mention that this coming Wednesday is first Wednesday for us at Seacoast. And we do first Wednesday at many of our campuses. If your campus doesn't do first Wednesday, you can join us online at uh, live.seacoast.org. And we uh, are excited because about a month and a half ago, uh, we had a service here in January that we called our Miracle and Healing Service. Some of you guys were a part of that. We have just seen God move in incredible ways in our church. We've seen so many people be healed of, of things that uh, doctors had said uh, they wouldn't be healed from. And we've seen and just amazing things, blown away by what's happening. And kicked off that night uh, is kind of when all that started. But Josh Silverberg, who was here that night and kind of led us through that service, will be back this coming first Wednesday. And so we're expecting God to continue to do incredible things. I wanna invite you to come early and come with expectation because we know that God is gonna do some significant things among us. Why don't we pray uh, for all of those things and then we'll jump into our time together. God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. Uh, you have been so good to us. You've just blessed us in some incredible, incredible ways all 31 of these years, but Lord, specifically in these last few weeks. And we just pray that you would continue to do it again. God, that we wouldn't just do church as usual, we wouldn't go through the motions today, that we would experience your power and your presence in a significant way. We pray for those church plants, God, that all across this nation, 
uh, that you would just bring tons of people to come to know you and your, your love for them. And uh, we just pray that you would encourage and empower those church leaders. And uh, we just pray for this Wednesday, everything that you're doing, we pray your kingdom would come and your will would be done, including right now. God, so help me to get out of the way and Lord, for you to be able to speak clearly uh, to your people. We love you so much. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a couple days ago, my, my son looks at me and he goes, Dad, that was awesome. And, and honestly, I'd expected <clears throat> to hear those words from my kids because we had gone on a ski trip. And we went up to West Virginia, Snowshoe, and my wife and I met skiing about 21 years ago. And only in the last few years have we kind of rediscovered our love for skiing. And so we took our kids up to, to Snowshoe and, and we figured we'd hear that phrase several times, but I did not expect it in the moment that he said it to me. I had just finished having an altercation uh, on the mountain with another man. Uh, I was, my heart was still racing. I'll tell you the story, it was justified, but I was like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? So I had, I, it was day two of our trip, we had three days to ski, and it was the first time I'd had the opportunity to go down a run on my own. Uh, I'd had kids with me every other time, and so our kids were with some other people. I had a chance to go by myself, so I started up at the top, went down on a, a black diamond and had some fun, and, and at, towards the bottom of the, the run, the trails merged with some other slopes, and I looked up to the, uh, ahead of me, about halfway down that, that slope, and I noticed that my kids, my two older kids, plus several of their friends, were stopped on the slope, and, and they were waiting. The adults who were supposed to be supervising them were nowhere to be found, uh, and so I skied up to figure out what was going on, and so I ski up right behind them. They didn't know I was there, and right as I stopped, a guy uh, stopped in front of them, and he was berating them, screaming at my kids. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. This isn't your mountain. You can't stop here. He's just yelling at him, veins coming out of his neck and our kids are just kinda like looking at him like, I don't know what to do. And so I, I observed the moment and I realized he wasn't part of ski patrol. I also knew <laughs> that he wasn't a parent to any of those kids and he didn't need to be talking to them in the way that he was. And so I just, I, I said, hey, excuse me, are, are, you, are you a ski patrol? No, but I know what they would say. This is dangerous, these kids can't be here, blah, you know. I said, okay, you're not a parent, you're not ski patrol, you need to move on. I, I got it from here, I'm a parent. Blah, he starts yelling at me and I said, sir, you need to get lost, all right? I'll take care of it from here. And he continues to yell at me, and so I, I skied up to him, and I said, sir, now you have become the problem, and, and you need to get out of here. And I'm starting to think, like, dude, I haven't been in a fight since the third grade, <laughs> but it's getting ready to go down, and I'm kind of excited about it. And so eventually, thankfully, the guy kind of looks at me, and he mumbles under his breath, and he, he takes off and, and skis down the mountain, and so I took the kids down to the bottom where we get ready to get on the lift, and that's when my son looked at me, and he goes, Dad, that was awesome. <laughs> it's like, oh, great, and so we've been home. Thank you, thank you. You guys just are so, so glad that your pastor got in a fight on the mountain. It's good to know what kind of church that we're dealing with here, but uh, so, so we get home, and they're telling this story like 10 times a day. Everybody they see, they're like, hey, my dad almost, and I'm like, guys, you gotta stop telling the story, and so I'm here kind of as a, a way of confession so that they can stop telling everybody. But, but I have been reflecting on it and wondering what, why did that make such a significant impact in their life? And I think there's a couple of things. Number one, I mean, I'm a parent of an 11-year-old, nine-year-old, and five-year-old, and I'll just be honest with you, I, I yell at my kids more than I would like to admit. There are moments I get frustrated, they don't do what I ask them to do, and, and in frustration, I'll kind of raise my voice, and, and don't judge me, you guys do it way more often than I do. And so. <laughs> 
but I do, and it doesn't work very well. It's not, it doesn't have very productive results when, when we find ourselves in that place, but this may have been the first time that my kids have ever seen me yell for them instead of yelling at them, and it marked them in a significant way, and so as a dad, I've thought about that. Man, they need to know that I have their back more than I tell them that. They need to know that, that I'm here for them, but, but I was asking my son yesterday, I said, why, why do you guys keep bringing this back up? Why do you, what, what was so significant about this for you? And he said, Dad, the deal is I knew that you were, you were skiing on your own. I knew that you were out having fun, and so I, when I heard your voice, when this guy's yelling at me, and we didn't know what to do, and then I heard your voice from behind, and you weren't mad at us, you were mad at him, it was just like we were so shocked to see that you would, you would yell like that for us, and it was just that it was unexpected. And, and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting for me to hear that, and, and I bring it up to you guys this weekend because I wonder, and I can't help but wonder, I've been preparing for this message, we're in a series, Seacoast Vintage, and if you're new, what we're doing is we're getting ready to move into a new space in the campus that I'm in right now. We definitely feel like God is moving us into a new season of ministry here at Seacoast, and there's some things that we wanna make sure we take with us. There's some, some stuff that we wanna make sure we don't lose as we move forward, and so we're stopping for a few minutes, a few months, maybe a couple years, because we're gonna be in this series until we move into the building. Uh, I'm just kidding, it won't be that long. Uh, we're getting close, but as I, as I was thinking about what are some of those things that, that we wanna take with us, I was thinking about the cities that we live in and the people that we interact with and the reason that we started this church in the first place is that there are a lot of people around us in our communities where the enemy is yelling things at them. He's telling them that, that they should be afraid or that they should have fear, anxiety, or that they don't belong here, that they don't have a future. And, and I think we've established ourselves at a, as a church so that we would take our presence in this community and shout back at the enemy to go, no, you, you, you don't belong here. There's somebody that doesn't belong here and it's you. It's not some punk kid on the, the ski slopes, but it's the enemy who wants to hold us back. And, and as a church, we exist because we wanna step in for those people. We want our communities to know that we are for them, that we yell for them, that we believe in them because Jesus died for all of us, right? And the cross wasn't just for those of us in the, the church. The cross happened. Jesus died on a cross. He rose from the dead because it's his will that none of us should perish. And so anybody who's struggling around us, it's our responsibility as ambassadors of, of God to step in and to fight for the people that need to be fought for. And so we're, we're, we're gonna continue the series today and, and we're gonna do a message. What we've done is we've, we've kind of revisited some old messages and reclaiming some of our values. And and I wanna talk to you about a principle that I first talked to you guys about maybe three years ago, but it's been a part of our DNA since the very beginning. Because if we're gonna be there for the community in the ways that they need us to be, it's not gonna happen on accident. We're gonna have to be intentional, and it's gonna happen when we live according to this principle that Jesus established called the extra mile, the, the second mile. And so we're gonna study a, a passage of scripture uh, in Genesis chapter 24, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up there and it's where I, I believe this principle is illustrated really, really well through a woman named Rebecca. But let me give you a little bit of context first. You guys remember Abraham? Uh, Abraham's one of the fathers of our faith. And when I was growing up in church, we would sing about him. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. God had given him this promise that he was gonna have descendants that were more numerous than the stars in the sky. This incredible promise, and Abraham believed him, but the issue is that he and his wife struggled lifelong with infertility. They couldn't have kids on their own. And so there was this constant tension and this, this struggle that they had. They wanted to believe God for what he had said, but that their reality looked a lot different. Well, God eventually answered their prayer. 
supernaturally, uh, they, they get pregnant. She's 90 years old, Sarah, his wife, 90 years old when she gets pregnant. And so it's a crazy miracle. They have this baby named Isaac. And now the, the, the fruition or the fulfillment of their dreams is getting ready to happen. Problem is now several years have passed. Isaac is now an adult. And God came through on his promise. Abraham's doing his part, but Isaac is still single. And his dad is not happy about it. Uh, Isaac, I don't know how old he was, but he was certainly probably older, to uh, 20s, 30s maybe, but he's still living at home. Maybe that's why he was single. I don't know why he was still single. Um, I do know he was a hairy guy. Uh, that's an odd thing to know about somebody from the Bible, but uh, he had eventually had kids named uh, Jacob and Esau, and they, he named the one Esau that looked like him, and that basically means furry one. So be glad that's not your name. Uh, but I don't know if Isaac just had some grooming issues or what, um, but I, I'm sure he was on all of the dating apps of the day, but he just kept getting swipe left, swipe left, not interested, not interested. So he's single, and like any good dad, Abraham goes, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna step in, I'm gonna help my son. And so he puts together a plan. He recruits a guy named Eleazar to go on a journey. That it's kind of a matchmaking journey. In fact, we could call this guy kind of like the Chris Harrison of, of their day. Uh, he, he's the bachelor, he's gonna make it happen and find a wife for Isaac, and so that's the story, and in looking for her, he finds somebody who is serving in the extra mile, who's doing much more than is expected of them, and I think there's a lot that we can take away from the story. So check this out, Genesis 24, verse 10. It says, then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. This isn't a dating message, but if it were, I would tell you to pay attention to that. He didn't go empty-handed. He brought flowers, he was prepared to find somebody, and so he came with, with some, some good things, bring good things to the table. He set out for this Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the, cam he had the camels kneel down near the well outside of the town. It was towards evening, the time that the women go out to draw water. So he knew where the women would be, they'd be getting water for their families. This was a very routine thing during that culture. And then he stopped and he prayed. And I want you to notice that, because I don't know what you're hoping for, needing in your life, what kind of breakthrough you're looking for, but I believe one of the most arrogant forms of, of, uh, uh, of pride that we have in our culture is when we fail to pray. If we've learned anything over these last few weeks, we've seen the power in prayer, and this man understood it. And so he had a pretty significant journey that he'd been set out to do, a, a significant goal, and so he stopped and he prayed, and he said, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, Make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink and she says drink and I'll water your camels too, which is way above and beyond. If, if she says that, let her be the one that you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you've shown kindness to my master. I love this because he prays a very specific prayer. He, he wanted to be successful in his journey and his mission, and, and, and he knew what kind of person that would be suitable for, for Isaac, and he, he prayed specifically for the kinds of things, the character traits that he would wanna see in this person. It says, before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. Don't you wish it always happened like that? It doesn't always happen like that for me. Like, you know, as he's praying, ta-da, the heavens open up, and, and there it is. And, and sometimes God answers prayer that way. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but it doesn't mean we should stop praying. So this, this woman walks out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of 
Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, the woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little bit of water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. That is what's expected. I mean, that was what the behavior that you would expect anybody to have there would be to say, yeah, sure, you can have a drink. But then she takes it further. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for you, or for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. Now, you know camels can hold a lot of water, right? How many camels were there? 10. They'd been on a long journey, and she says, hey, I wanna, I wanna provide enough water for all of your camels to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all of his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring. Now, I would recommend a different piece of jewelry if I were you, just again. Um, but but he, he had some, some good stuff, took it out, two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels, and he asked her, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? So she answers him, and she tells him, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. An incredible story. Kind of a, a cool love story, if you will, in some ways, but I think there's some stuff that we can learn. Because this woman, Rebecca, it was a pretty normal day for her. Every day she would have been expected, like many of the women of the homes, to, to take the, the bucket that she got from Lowe's and to walk over to the well. <laughs> and she would have you know, lowered the well right in. She's got this rope. She would have lowered the well down, filled it up with water, and then she would have put it on her shoulder and, and brought it back to her home. Well, it just so happens that there's a stranger that approaches her and needs a drink. And so she gives him a drink, but then she says, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to, and again, he didn't ask her for this, but she notices that there's some camels. And she says, hey, I'd like to serve you in that way. And so she dumps this water out into a trough and she goes back however far it was to the well and she dips the deal back in and fills it back up and then she walks back over here and she fills up the trough. And, and scholars would have said that it would have taken about an hour and a half to two hours to get enough water for these camels. And cr a crazy crazy offer, an extra mile kind of a thing to do. She serves beyond what's expected and her entire life changes as a result. And so I wanna, I wanna have a conversation today about what would it look like for us to, to live our lives in this extra mile? Because I believe it's in the extra mile. It's when we go above and beyond what's expected of us. That's really where the, the miracles happen. That's really where we can discover some cool things and we'll learn a lot from her story. But I wanna set it up first with what is the extra mile? Like where do we even get that phrase? What well, comes from a, a, a phrase that Jesus said during one of his most famous sermons in Matthew chapter five, it's during the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells uh, the people, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them for two miles. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them for two miles. What in the world is that about? Well, well, you gotta understand that 
in their culture, uh, Jews were living under Roman oppression. So Roman occupation. Romans were in charge, they were in authority. Uh, they allowed the Jews to kind of do their thing in Israel, but they had some rules that they, they honestly were trying to make their lives miserable in a lot of ways. And so one of those random rules was that if a Roman soldier ever approached somebody who lived in Israel, who wasn't a Roman citizen, and said, hey, I want you to carry my armor, which would weigh about 100 pounds or more, uh, by law, no matter what they were doing, where they were going to, what kind of sense of urgency they had with whatever they were up to, they had to stop what they were doing, they had to carry that armor for a mile by law. And, and they would define a mile by a thousand left-footed steps. So if you think about it, they, they put on all of this armor and then every left foot, one, two, three, and you, you better guarantee, I, I'll guarantee you that they were counting the steps, right? Because they had to do it for a thousand steps and if I'm one of those Jews, I don't care where I am, if I'm on a hill, I hope all of his stuff rolls down the hill. You know, wherever I am on that thousandth step, you drop it. You've done what you were supposed to do. It's a nuisance, it's, it's irritating, it, it, it disrupts your life. You drop it and you go on. Jesus comes and says, hey, if you're ever forced to do that, I want you to go two miles instead of one. I want you to live your life in the second mile. And really in Jesus's world, second mile became second nature for him. You know, we, we had a pretty similar situation when our country was established. Uh, in fact, I don't know how many of you are here, I imagine there's a couple of you, but how many of you are here that if I said, hey, I'd like for you to come up on the platform and explain the third amendment of the Constitution, how many of you would feel confident enough that you'd be able to do it? Okay, we got a couple of hands back here, not many. The people in the sound booth have heard me say this three times, so they know it. I'm sure that on James Island, North Charleston, a lot of hands are in the air, but most of us aren't familiar with this. I'm not gonna ask y'all to do that, by the way. I'll explain it, but I, I believe you. I believe you would know it. Now, if I, had, if I had said Second Amendment, a lot more hands would have gone up. I guarantee you that. But the Third Amendment of the Constitution, let me, let me show you what it says. This is a little history for you guys. It says, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in the time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. That's the Third Amendment of the Constitution. Very seldom used, never been tried in the Supreme Court, most of us have never even heard of it because it doesn't really apply to our lives very much today, at least not in the way that we can see it. But what was going on is we were, when, when the initial colonists came over here, we were obviously an extension of England. We were under England's rule. And so England put together a quartering act uh, back before the, the war, which basically said that any person who lived over here, any, any colonists in America, was required by law if a soldier needed a place to stay at night they had to open up their home. And you can imagine this would be very inconvenient, especially when you're trying to pull off a revolutionary war, right? And so these soldiers are here, and by law, you have to allow them in. Some of them, I'm sure, are gaining information that would help them in the war. It's inconvenient. There's all kinds of reasons why that would be a problem. And so, of course, what happens is we win the war, and because the gover government had wisdom, they set a, 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 an amendment to the Constitution that said, hey, that's no longer the case. You don't have to do that anymore. And I imagine that there were many people in Israel who were hoping for a Messiah that would come in and that would deliver them from, from this kind of tyranny. And Jesus shows up and, and he says, in the kingdom that I'm establishing, we're gonna do things a little bit differently. You know, when, when you're forced to go one mile, I want you to go two. And, and, and again, I'm not arguing that what we did was wrong. I think it's good government to do it that way. 
But Jesus didn't come to, to rule as a governor. He came to establish a way of life, a kingdom mindset where you learn to live in the second mile, where second mile living becomes second nature. And I want you to think about it for a minute. Imagine the conversation that would be created when, when a, a Roman soldier gets to that thousandth step, that first mile, and this, this Christ follower looks at him and says, hey, do you mind if I keep carrying this? Where are you going? I wanna help you out a little bit more. Let's go one more mile. Can you imagine the kinds of conversations that might happen during that second mile? Like, dude, dude why are you doing this? Why are you treating me this way? And why do you have such a good attitude about this? I don't know, but I imagine that if the people really listened to what Jesus said, probably a lot of lives were impacted just because they saw somebody living differently, living in this second mile. That's the call that he's given us. Say, guys, I want you to, I want you to live in such a way that, that when people are discouraged, when people are struggling, that, that, that there would be a group of people who they would know they've got their backs. They're willing to serve them at whatever the cost to themselves. What does it look like to be in the second mile? It's when I do more than what's expected. When I do more than what's expected. Jesus did this all the time. Uh, there were all kinds of Jewish laws and Old Testament laws that were established and it was very common for Jesus to go, hey, I know that it is said to do it this way and then he would challenge you to go further. There were times where he's, I, I know that the, the, the law says give 10%, but I want you to give it all away. I want you to do something lavish, ridiculous. And even on the other side of it, he would say, hey, I know, you know in the law that it says you shouldn't commit adultery and that's kind of the baseline but, but how about this? Don't even think about it. Don't even, don't even engage in that with, with your mind. He would push people further into this second mile space when, when you do more than what's expected. It's, it's when you say yes when you normally say no. Second mile living, when I say yes to something that I would normally say no to. In fact, in the next scripture, it's actually the one right before the second mile verse, but in the same sermon, he says, give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's like, guys, if, if we're gonna make a difference, if we're gonna establish the, the, the move that, that I've come here to do, we're gonna have to live differently. There's some things you would normally say no to. There's some people you would normally ignore. Say yes. Live with your yes on the table. Are, are there some people in your life that you've been saying no to, or maybe there's some areas that you just always say no, that maybe a yes would, would make a much bigger difference, that a, a yes could, could have an impact. I know even in the small things with my kids, you know, are there times where, where they're expecting you to say no, but you could go, yeah, let's do it. You know, dad, let, let's go outside and play. I know there's so many times I don't feel like going outside and playing. I wanna, I wanna I'm tired, but it's like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's have fun. That's where memories are made. It's when I push beyond my comfort zone. When I push beyond my comfort zone. You know, I mentioned that miracle service that we had here a few weeks ago. Talk about out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I've had several of you come to me and say, God, Josh, this is, this is crazy. You know, this is amazing. Like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, we didn't plan for this. This is just God kind of pushing us beyond our comfort zone. But here's what I know. I know that we felt like God called us to do a service at a time that we normally don't do a service to ask for some things that we don't normally routinely ask for, and God showed up in a powerful, powerful way. And, and what, in that evening, on, on that night in January, felt like a very 
out of our comfort zone experience, we're starting to see some of these things become second nature. We're starting to see people that will stop and, and pray over people when it, it may be a little bit out of their comfort zone or, or reach out or have a conversation or whatever it might be. But second mile living is when we push ourselves out of our comfort zone. Nobody ever changed the world in their comfort zone. You look at any story of anybody who did something significant and it, was, it required them to, to, to live in the second mile. So let's go back to the passage that we looked at and, with Rebecca. And what can we learn? What can we learn about second mile? The first thing is this, when I go the extra mile, people will notice. When I go the extra mile, people will notice. Remember, Rebecca is watering these camels. And, and we read this earlier, but here's what it says. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. I wonder what he was looking for. Because it said, if you keep reading that, it says that he, after she had finished watering all the camels, I wonder if he thought that she was gonna make a commitment that she thought she could do and then she would stop halfway through, or if she was really gonna follow through on what she said she would do. But it says he, he watched her closely. And man, when we go the second mile, when we serve people beyond what's expected of us, people will notice. They will. I don't know if you have realize this, but people are starving for attention these days. People are, will do anything to get noticed. Social media, people say things, they'll wear things. They'll act in ways, because they, they just, their attention starved. People want to be noticed. You wanna know the best way to get noticed? Go the extra mile. Serve somebody beyond what they're expected to. Speak life into somebody when others are speaking death. You know, I go back to that story on the mountain and how it marked my kids to hear me yelling for them instead of yelling at them. And I would guess that if you pulled our country right now and their perception of the church or of religion would be, man, it's, it's a, a group of people who are constantly yelling at me and trying to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. And I'm not saying that's true of you, but I think that's the reputation that we have, unfortunately, in our country as Christ followers. What if we said, man, I want my reputation to be someone who is for people, who realizes that every single person that you run into this week is, is somebody who Jesus came and died for, somebody that, that he has a vision for their life, that needs to know of the hope that they could have through him. If we knew that, man, our, yeah, somebody's excited about that, that's good. But seriously, what if you thought about that? Every day is an opportunity. Every day is an opportunity for you to interact with people and for you to leave an impression. And what if that impression was, man, I have your back. I love you. I will, I will, I will serve you. I will care for you. You will get noticed. People will ask you, what's going on? Why are you serving me in this way? And, and, and then, then you have opportunities in the extra mile. Second, another thought for us is that my relationships flourish in the second mile. My relationships flourish in the extra mile. For Rebecca, she woke up and did something that was very routine for her, did something she did every day of her life, but she found an opportunity to serve, to go above and beyond, and her life changed completely. She met her future spouse, and the next verse kind of explains that, that she ended up coming home, and, and Isaac took her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. He married her, she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death, all because she went the extra mile all because she served more than what was expected. 
her relationships flourished. Where do you have a relationship that needs to flourish? Where are you waiting for a breakthrough in a relationship? You know, for Rebecca, her relational breakthrough came in the extra mile. That's where, that's where the, 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 the shift happened that she needed to see happen in her relationships, in the extra mile. Do you want your marriage to flourish? What's something that you could do today that's above and beyond what's expected? You know, I've been in ministry now for about 20 years and uh, I've yet to run into a marriage that didn't work because man, my husband just served me too much. It was just too much, I couldn't handle it. Uh, you know, a wife's going, I, I, I just, I'm done. I can't take this anymore, no. I promise you, but we all get into it, right? Into these, these moments or we, 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 the feelings wear off and we start to trying to figure out what's in it for me. How can I be served? But I promise you, if we will find ways to serve others, our relationships will flourish. I've never known a single person who got fired from their job because they just continuously showed up and did more than what was expected of them. You know, be that person at your office, maybe the one that shows up and, and brings donuts to work in the morning or finds ways to serve other people. I promise you, your relationships, your work relationships will flourish when we live in the extra mile. What relationship do you need help with? Some of you, maybe you're dating right now, and I would just encourage you, if, if you're not with somebody right now who has displayed a, an ability and a, and a desire to serve you and to, to serve you in the extra mile, I'm not saying they're gonna be perfect. Trust me, if we kept reading Rebecca's story, she had issues, we all do, right? But, but she, her, her, she was the kind of person who went above and beyond. She was thoughtful. If you're with somebody, think about the way they treat service people. You know, the people who serve you in restaurants, who maybe serve you in other areas of your life, because fast forward about five or six years, and you will be that service person, and they'll probably treat you the same way. And so, so, so we need to be going after it, people who are, who are living in the extra mile, who, who, who serve in the extra mile, and if we become those people, I promise you, our relationships will flourish. And the last thought for us is that often my destiny is discovered in the extra mile. My destiny is often discovered in the extra mile. You know, we would have never heard of Rebecca if she hadn't watered those camels. We'd have never heard of her. Her story wouldn't have gone down in, in history. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, we're talking about this girl because she lived her life in the extra mile. Look at what her family prayed over her before they sent her away to be married. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, May you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Doesn't that sound awfully familiar to the same promise that was given to Abraham? Your, your descendants are gonna be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And by, by going above and beyond, by serving above and beyond, she finds herself being attached to this promise that God had given Abraham. Her destiny was forever changed. And I think the same can be true for us. I wanna close just by sharing you this story with you. I read about this this week. Many years ago, an elderly lady was strolling through a Pittsburgh department store, obviously killing time. She passed counter after counter without anyone paying any attention to her. All of the clerks had spotted her as an idle looker. You know, you know what I'm talking about? If you work in retail, she was just looking. And so nobody was giving her the time of day. Everybody was kind of ignoring her. It says, Finally, the lady came to a counter that was attended by a young clerk who bowed politely 
and asked if he could serve her. No, she replied, I'm just killing time, waiting for the rain to stop so that I can go home. Well, very well, ma'am, the young man said, can I bring a chair out for you? And he smiled and he grabbed a chair before she could even answer and he brings a chair out and says, why don't you, why, why don't you get comfortable while you're waiting so that you can go home? And, and so she does and she sits there and says, after the rain stopped, the young man took the lady by the arm, escorted her to the street and, and, and told her to have a great day. As she left, she asked him for his card. So he gave it to her. Several months later, the owner of the store received a letter asking that this young man be sent to Scotland to take an order for the furnishings of a home. The owner of the store wrote back that he was sorry, but that young man doesn't work in the home furnishings department. However, he explained that he'd be happy to send a, a, an experienced man to do that job for him. Well, back comes a reply that no one would do except that particular young man. That letter was signed by Andrew Carnegie, and the house that he wanted furnished was Skibo Castle in Scotland. So the elderly lady was Car Mr. Carnegie's mom. The young man was sent to Scotland. He received an order for several hundred thousands of dollars worth of furniture, which became a huge financial windfall, which he ended up using to purchase the department store that he was working at prior. And he became a part owner in that store. Isn't that kind of cool? And I, I love that story because it's all he did was offer a lady a chair, right? I mean, all he did is do a little bit more than what was expected. But man, that's the principle that Jesus called us to. Live in the second mile. Someone asks you to do something, go a little above and beyond. And y'all, here's, here's the deal. Here's my prayer for us as a church. We're getting ready to move into a new building in this campus. And, and wouldn't it be cool if the conversation around that move in had very little to do with the building or the number of seats or how great it looked or how many people were coming, but that man, increasingly in our community, people would rub shoulders with seacoasters, Christ followers, and they would walk away from those conversations and they would go, man, that was awesome. That person believed in me. That person sees value in me. That person has my back. And I believe if we will live our lives looking for those opportunities, looking for those moments to serve people, to care for people, that we will see a buzz in this community like we've never seen before. And we will see people that will come to know Jesus because they interacted with people who lived in the extra mile. That's my hope. And I believe every day is an opportunity for that. Every day is an opportunity for us to, to see potential in somebody that doesn't see it themselves. To see somebody who might be hurting, who might be listening to accusations that are coming from, from a place that doesn't have authority. You know, the enemy wants us to think that our best days are behind us. The enemy wants us to be paralyzed by fear. But if we would be people who would shout for our community and speak up for them, I believe God will do incredible, incredible things. So let's be those people. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you. I thank you, obviously, that you went the extra mile for us. Jesus, that you died on a cross for us. Lord, you could do what you're doing anywhere on the planet, but you've chosen us. You've chosen our state, our cities, our communities to pour your spirit out in such a powerful way. God, let us be good stewards of that. Let us be a people who will be faithful with what you've given us, 
who will go the extra mile, who will serve people beyond what's expected. And God, I pray that there would be a ripple effect that would transform not only our community, that would go out from here and sweep across this nation, that the revival that you've begun today would continue in powerful ways, in ways that we haven't even begun to see. God, we ask that you would do it here, that you would use us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.